Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And uh, we have an exciting announcement for you this morning, so uh, watch this video. Good morning, Crosspoint. I hope everyone's having a great Sunday and that you're finding joy and rest in God's presence. So a few weeks ago on August 8th, I had the privilege of meeting many of you and even getting to see some of you get baptized as I was visiting Fredericton. Congratulations to everyone who got baptized that day. I'm praying for you as you live out your calling to be fully committed followers of Jesus. So for anyone who I didn't get to meet on the 8th, hi, uh, my name's Kenzie Schultz and I was born in Ottawa, but grew up in Moncton, and my family and I have been attending Moncton Wesleyan since I was around four years old. Recently, actually, I've been able to join the staff of Moncton Wesleyan as a ministry assistant, and I've gotten to help lead our excellent youth group there. But starting on September 7th, I will be entering a new season as I have the blessing of joining you at Crosspoint as your youth and young adults pastor. If I could describe youth and young adults ministry in one word, it would be foundational. And I don't just mean that in terms of its importance. As I'm sure you all know, either from experience or because someone has told you, our teenage and young adult years are the times when we're answering some of the questions that will shape the rest of our lives. Questions like, where does my identity and my sense of security come from? What are my goals and what's my purpose in life? What are some of the key values that will shape my decision making? My hope is to help teens and young adults develop a strong, stable foundation of a relationship with God and of the truth of his word. As the famous hymn goes, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And my hope is that we can continue to build on these foundations for the rest of our lives. Thank you so much for trusting me and welcoming me into your church family. I am so excited to join you and look forward to seeing you soon at Crosspoint. There we go, Kenzie Schultz. And what, uh, it's very exciting that, uh, that God has led Kenzie and prepared him for this uh, new season of ministry here at Crosspoint. What he didn't say is that I've known him since he was four years old. And when I'm watching that, I'm thinking, oh, boy, that makes me feel old. When you hire people that you knew when they were munchkins, that's, uh, you're starting to feel old. Anyhow, that's exciting. Maybe you noticed my... Um, my t-shirt this morning, my preaching shirt, the Crosspoint Kids uh, volunteer, and uh, God is sending us high-quality staff here at Crosspoint so that we can provide high-quality ministry to thousands of people in Jesus' name. Amen. One person is excited about that. 
thousands of people in Jesus' name, and we want hundreds of young families to come to Crosspoint and know that, that their children, their family will be loved, they'll be served with excellence, that uh, these young people will, will know Jesus, they'll know God's word, they'll grow up to be world changers. Wow. Um, okay. And uh, you want to go to a church that has a phenomenal children's ministry. You do. Even if you don't have children, you don't want to go to a church where all the teenagers are in their 70s. Right? So... Pastor Nicole has been asking for volunteers all summer. Uh, Kim Henry has uh, agreed to restart our nursery program here. We have great staff. We have great vision. We do not have enough volunteers. Hence, the bald guy wearing the blue shirt this morning. Um, we need you. We, it's, it's time uh, to more than just hear us ask for volunteers. We really need you to get involved. And... Um, you're married to the children's pastor. You might be a little bit biased. Um, you can either see Pastor Nicole in the lobby after church. You can email her at kids at crosspointchurch.ca. And uh, so let's all get involved. We're in week eight of our summer series, Identity Theft. Coming back to who we are as a church. Coming back to who we are as a people knowing and living in our God-given identity. And we're going to be in Luke 15 this morning, and my message is heavily influenced by this little gem of a book. It's called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. And we just happen to have dozens of copies of this available out in the lobby this morning, right after the service. You can go out there and get one of these things Take one of these and read it this week. It's a quick read, and uh, it's one of my top two or three Christian books that I've read ever. So it, my message, I'm telling you up front, that a lot of the content is from this book or influenced by this book and also this book, okay? All right. So prior to reading this book, I would have... I would have defined the word prod prodigal as wayward, but that's not the definition of prodigal. Prodigal means to spend recklessly, extravagantly, or lavish. And as we'll see this morning, it's the father in the story who will, who will spend anything, who will go to any cost to see us come into his feast. We've always called the third parable of Luke chapter 15 as uh, the prodigal son. But a better title for the, for the parable would be the, the two lost sons and their prodigal father, as it would be a better title. God is prodigal towards you. His reckless grace is our greatest hope. So we're going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to skip a couple of parables, and we're going to drop down to the the third parable of Luke 15. Verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. Down to verse 11. 
To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have uh, food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. It wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years... I've slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Gross. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So to really understand the parable, you have to start at the beginning of Luke chapter 15. And Luke tells us that sinners were coming to hear Jesus, and this ticked off the religious crowd. Okay? The two lost sons represent those two groups of people that Jesus was talking to. He's got two groups. He's got, the, he's got the sinners club and he's got the church club. He's got the sinners and he's got the Pharisees, the religious people. And so he tells them this story about the two lost sons. One son is lost but comes home. The other stays home but is lost. And see, as Jesus is telling the parable, they're putting themselves in the story. One is lost through his disobedience and his sin. The other is lost through his obedience and his religion. You see it? He's doing everything right and he's still lost. And Jesus 
the, the parable, Jesus is reaching out to the older brothers, not the sinner's club. He's reaching out to the older brothers, urging them to come in to the feast. As Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal God, the targets of Jesus' story are not the wayward sinners, but the moral insiders. Often in the New Testament, it's the sinners who are drawn to Jesus. And Luke tells us that again in in 15 verse 1. They loved him. The sinners loved Jesus. They couldn't get enough of him. They loved him. And it was the religious crowd who who were threatened by him and offended by him and mad at him and always in tension with Jesus. And that little visual that Luke gives us at the beginning of his chapter is loaded with meaning that people who didn't like religion loved Jesus. They they weren't going into the temple. They They were held aside by the religious people and they loved Jesus. They loved his teaching. They were attracted to him because Jesus wasn't religion. Jesus didn't fit any category. He was altogether different. He he was something new. They'd never heard anything like him. They'd never met anything like him. And he was beautiful, and people wanted to hear him. And to the Pharisees, who are all about their rules and their ritual and their religion, Jesus invites them to something greater, relationship. And no one had ever heard anything like this before. So in verse 11 and 12, the younger son asked for his share of the estate. And he's effectively saying to the father, I, I really wish you would die. Could, like, when are you going to die? I want you to die. If you could just die, I could have my share of the estate. But since it looks like you're fairly healthy and you're not going to die anytime soon, I can't wait any longer. I just wish you were dead. He wants his father's things, but not his father. He's in that relationship for what he can get out of it. Remember, Jesus is telling this story publicly to a group of people who would have been putting themselves in the story. And they know, as they're listening to this, they know how they would have responded to an ungrateful insolent who had the nerve to come to the father and say, I want my share now. He's literally asking the father to dismantle the property, everything they own, whatever they've worked for. And instead of inflicting pain on the child, because in that, in that culture, in that day, a lot of them are thinking, I would have beat the, right? Is what they're thinking. Like, I would have driven him off my property or killed him. And instead of inflicting pain on the child, the father endures the pain. The father bears the agony, bears the shame, maintains his affection, and lets the son go free. And no one had heard anything like this before. It just, it's just, mess, just bending their brain. Jesus completely shatters their paradigms. What kind of father is this? Who does this? It's extravagant. It's lavish. It's prodigal. The reckless living of the son is met with the reckless grace of the father. And the son takes his inheritance and he takes the fast road to rock bottom. 
And when all he has left is regret, he remembers the heart of his father and a place called home. And fueled by his hunger, he wonders if the father has just enough grace left to take him in, not, not as a son. He, he thinks that's gone forever. He thinks that, you know, I've ruined that. That'll never, that'll never be the same again. But maybe, just maybe he'll take me in as one of his hired hands. And how often we miscalculate and underestimate the unfathomable grace and love of our father. And we think, could God forgive me? Could, could, could God take me in again? Have I, have I done too much? Have I crossed that line? Have I gone too far? Verses 20 and 21 tell us that he's, he returns home and while he was still a long ways off, the father sees him coming. And as Jesus is telling the story, you can almost see the sinner's club, you know, clapping and cheering and eating popcorn and high-fiving because they, they're putting themselves in the story and they know how they've been received by Jesus. They are, everyone calls them the sinners, right? They're, 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 they're that group and they know that, they, that Jesus has met them with open arms, that Jesus has met them with love, that Jesus has not condemned them, that Jesus isn't judging them. All Jesus is doing is loving them. And so they know, hey, he's coming home. The, the son, he's coming home, right? They're, this is going to be good. And the, the Pharisees are, are seething, seething. The son needs to get what he deserves. This is the father's chance. Beat him again. You know, when, when Jesus says the father runs out, they're thinking, yeah, he's running out. He's running out with a stick. He's going to drive the insolent off of his property. Now he's going to get what he deserves. In a shocking twist, the father sees him coming. <laughs> Now, picture, if you can picture something in first century, right? The father hikes up his robe, the patriarch of the family, hiking up his robe and running out. Patriarchs did not run in those days. And this guy hikes up his robe and runs out to meet his son. We have a God who runs towards us. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to beg. You don't have to repay or make amends. He takes off his robe and he covers our filth with his love. The son had partied until there was nothing left. And now the father orders a party that will make everyone full to overflowing. And like we said with Joseph's story, remember Joseph, forgiveness is a feast. Forgiveness is a feast. The son knew that his father had food to spare. And now he finds that his father also has grace to spare. Wow. His grace is like water. It flows to the lowest point. You'll never, get, you'll never find yourself beyond the reach of God's grace. Ever. And the Pharisees had never known a father like this. And they had certainly never been a father like this. This is foreign. This is supernatural. This is unheard of. What kind of love is this? What, 
Who pays the penalty? Like, who, what, what happens to the cost of his, of his sin? The shame brought to the family. What about repayment and judgment and penalty and working your way back into the father's trust? And with his arms wide open and his robe of favor, the father indicates to the younger son, the price has already been paid. It's already paid. You see, repentance and returning are always met with rejoicing and feasting in the Father's house. If you turn this morning, if you turn your heart towards home, repentance and returning are always met with rejoicing and feasting in the Father's house. You'll never get a better offer than that. You'll never get a better offer than grace. And no one had ever heard a message like this before. This is not religion. Jesus didn't come to start another religion. He had something much better in mind, relationship. Wow. Verse 25, the story, Jesus turns the story in verse 25, and he aims it directly at the Pharisees, the older brothers. People who live good lives and do good things so that God will owe them. People who are serving God for what he has and not loving God for who he is. Intentionally, Jesus puts the older son out working in the field. Of course he's working. That's what older sons do. They're just, they work for their, for their salvation. They work, they try to earn it and work and work and work. While the rest of the family and the community have started to party in the house, because there's always a party in the house when a lost child comes home. <laughs> Again, if you turn your heart towards Jesus this morning, there's a party in the house. There should be a party in this house yes. and a party in heaven. <laughs> so the older brother is mad. He's seething mad. He's been keeping score his whole life. I go to church. I go to, I say my prayers. I've tried to be a good neighbor, even to that one annoying neighbor who drives everybody nuts. I give to charities. I serve at Cross Point Kids. This is not fair. Where is the justice? He's already wasted a third of everything that we have. Now we got two thirds left and he's gonna get a third of that. This is costing me. I'm losing out on this deal. Have you ever secretly hoped that somebody else would get what they deserve? Oh, God, God you're going to get, that's going to catch up. God's going to get all that. You ever thought that way? I have. Okay, I'll be honest this morning. I'm the pastor, and I've thought that way. I mean, comically, somebody just flew by me on the highway the other day, and I thought, get him. You know, Lord, put a, put a, a speed trap on the other side of that hill. I look forward to driving by that that person when they're pulled over. <clears throat> but when I speed, there's a perfectly good reason for it. <laughs> you ever felt that way? The older brother refuses to go into the home, which is a picture of salvation. Because he's not going in because he cannot have the father on his terms. And the father meets the older brother with the same love, and grace that the younger brother received. 
and the father pleads with him to come in. We thought your brother was dead, but he is alive. Come in and feast. And the story ends. The screen goes blank. That's it. Jesus just drops us right there. The story ends. You don't know what happened. You don't know. Jesus has redefined salvation and what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. And in front of that group of Pharisees, the older brothers who were listening to this story, he draws like a clear line. That's what the story does. The story draws a line and causes them to think, forces them to think, which side of this story am I on? Am I refusing to go in because I cannot have the Father on my own terms? Or will I just come in and feast because the Father has invited me? The Father is begging me to to come in. And some, like Pastor uh, John preached last Sunday, some, like Nicodemus, did see Jesus as the Son of God. When the parable begins, when they, the parable begins with the younger brother and the Pharisees, The religious crowd are thinking that Jesus is finally going to teach those sinners a lesson. They're wasting their lives, running with prostitutes, feeding the pigs. Good for them. Get them, Jesus. This is going to be a great story. But then he turns and he flips it. The father pleads with both of the lost sons to come into his home, come into his feast of love. One son is lost and he knows it. The other son is lost and won't admit it. One son leaves behind his pride with the pigs. The other son lets his pride eclipse the love of the father. At the beginning, neither neither son loved the father for who he was. And one son refused to change his ways. You can refuse Jesus by doing everything wrong. That's one way. And you can refuse Jesus by doing everything right. It's possible to be lost in your own righteousness, believing in God, but not feasting with Jesus. That's what the parable teaches. It's possible for you to think that you're doing, because I'm doing everything right, I deserve this and God owes me. You can go to church, you can go to church for points, earning points with God instead of for the glory of Jesus. If you've ever left church and thinking, oh, I didn't get much out of that, or I didn't, I didn't like this and I don't like that, doesn't that sound like an older brother? If you've ever gone to, to God in prayer thinking he owes you, I'm going I'm to take some of those good points and I'm going to cash them in, you owe me. Or you can control God. Doesn't that sound like an older brother? You ever, when you see someone um, looking for help, holding up a sign, have you ever felt smug that, that your decisions were better than theirs? And doesn't that sound like an older brother? If you've ever resisted the in- invitation from God to come in, Come into the feast. Come into the home. But you, you, you keep God at a distance. I will 
allow you to, I'll, I'll keep you at, a, you know, my dis, wherever I'm comfortable. Doesn't that sound like an older brother? And when people hear the word church, don't they think of a place that's full of older brothers? Like, don't they think, shoot me now, like I'd rather stay home and bath my cat? Like, why would I want to go to a place, uh, you know, a bunch of right-wing, holier-than-thou nut jobs who are mad against the world? Isn't that, I'm not saying that's who you are. I'm saying, isn't that what people think? It's, the, it's, a, it's full of older brothers. Why would I want to? They all walk on an angle, and they've got their theological sleeves rolled up, and they're all mad about something. It's what people think. And no wonder the younger brother wanted to leave home. <laughs> Get me out of here. Luke tells us that Jesus used three parables back to back to back. The first one is about a lost sheep. And the shepherd goes out and searches until he finds his sheep. And then he calls all of his friends to celebrate because the loss has been found. The second one is a woman who's lost a very valuable coin. And she searches everywhere until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls everyone and says, let's celebrate. So lost sheep, search till you find it, celebrate. Lost coin, search till you find it, celebrate. And then the third parable, about two lost sons. And because the first two stories include someone going out and searching until the loss has been found... Those listening to the story would think, okay, there's gonna, they're going to go out and find this, this lost brother. But no one does. No one thinks, let's go get him. This is not right. He, our, brother, our brother is lost. and Let's go find him. We, we need to find him at any cost. Jesus wants you to ask, who's going to go out and find the lost? Where are these brothers and sisters who, when someone's lost, they hurt and they think, no, this, you've got to come into the family. Cain, the older brother in Genesis, asked this question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. We, we are. We are. Jesus intentionally makes the older brother less than what we would hope for. In an, in an older brother. Um, we, want, we want people to love us no matter what. We want people who will chase us down and come after us and show us unconditional love. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be reminded of our sin. We know what we did. We want people to, to when, when, we, when we return, when we come home, we want people to throw a party. And the younger brother gets a Pharisee for a brother, but we do not. We get Jesus. We get Jesus. Like the father in the story, even, even hanging on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And, and grace is free, but it's not cheap. Your place at the table, your feast has been purchased by the shed blood of God's Son. And the story of Scripture 
is that we're all, we're all lost sons, daughters, a, a band of exiles longing for a place we can call home. No coincidence at the end of this book, Revelation 19 refers to heaven as the marriage supper of the Lamb, a feast with Jesus. Elder brothers think the bad people are out and the good people are in. The gospel says that we're all out, but we are invited in. The best place to find yourself in this story is at the table with Jesus. Right? When Jesus told the story, there were the sinners and the Pharisees, and they would have been thinking, oh, he's talking about you. Oh, no, he's talking about you. Oh, no, he's talking about you. Forgiveness is a feast. And if you've been away, the invitation is to come home. And if you've been home for the wrong reasons, the invitation is to come in. If you've been away, the invitation is to come home. But if you've been home, church people, if you've been home, but, but not feasting with Jesus, keeping God at a distance on your own terms, the invitation is to come in, come into the table and enjoy the Father. Enjoy the Father not for what he has or what he can do for you, Enjoy the Father for who he is, for who he is. Let's pray. God, I thank you again this morning um, for the way that you have been leading us all summer long to the right scripture, the right text, the right topic for the right Sunday. None of this is a coincidence to you. You knew exactly who would be here this morning. You knew who would need to hear um, this story again about the Father, the God who runs towards us, the God who opens his arms, the God who says, I don't care where you've been or what you've done. I'm just glad that you're home. Let's throw a party. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who needs to come home, I pray, I pray, Lord, that their, their heart would be obedient to that. If there's anyone here who's, who's been thinking that they've been earning points with you and keeping score and they've got the heart of an older brother, I pray, Lord, that you would invite them to come in to the table of relationship where there is a feast with you that they would, that they would want to know you uh, for who you are in all your, your glory. Pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.